Hi, my friends, and welcome to From Here to There. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing about the lives of many people throughout history and people alive today that God has worked through in order to bring increase and influence of His kingdom here on earth. But in this first series, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you my story, how God was able to take me from powerless to powerful and from the nest to the nations. I really believe that as you listen, God is going to give you keys to moving forward toward your God destiny. So let's get started with this week's message. God has prepared you for what He's preparing for you. But I'm telling you, it doesn't always look like how we thought it would look when we take a leap of faith. How do we stay rooted and stable when everything around us is new and unfamiliar? I'm thankful that God's grace is within us for the call. Our faith will be tested and our motives will be purified with the challenges of a new level. God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. And that's what I'm going to share about today. What happens when you take a leap of faith? As I share about my leap to the nations today, you may recognize some of the feelings that I've experienced, but I doubt that you've experienced the culture shock that I did. At least you won't if you've let God prepare you. I'll tell you, I was prepared spiritually, but maybe not so much in the natural. Last week, I shared about receiving an undeniable call to the nations. I call it a burning bush experience like Moses in the wilderness. But I remind you that God does not always speak so loud and clear. In fact, usually he only speaks that loud when, one, you're not listening, or two, you're going to need to know later that you know that you know that you heard from God. I don't believe it's ever the will of God to shock us at a new level, but the shock will come when we fail to get ready as we should be. I was what I would have called, and I would call today, a reluctant missionary. Just like Jonah, remember my story of my pastor saying, we're not going to have any Jonas on the ship. Now, it wasn't because I didn't have passion or vision, because I had plenty of that, but I also had plenty of fears and insecurities, and I'm sure there are others, but I really don't know of any women that have left for the mission field as a single mom with a child and leaving four grown children behind, as well as a two-month-old granddaughter, it was a big change for me, and it was something that really took kick of God to get me out of my comfort zone and up to that new level. It was surprising to many, but I think I was the most surprised of all. So as I shared last week, God gave me not only a voice from heaven, but he said he would put his foot in my behind if I didn't go. And so when I was released from my job at the church, although I was scared, I was equally excited to do what I had seen in my spirit and make that jump to the nations. I can't really remember how we got money to live on in those months between leaving my job at the church and leaving for Manila, but I do know that God provided. And I remember traveling and sharing what we were going to do. The Lord gave me so much favor with people who recognized the call of God on my life. I'm so thankful for that. You know, there were people that sowed financially, but there were just as many pastors I met with just pray with me or would share their own experiences on the mission field or people that they knew. And so everybody that I met with just gave me the grace and favor to add to the call. Well, I have to say 
for all the pastors that are listening out there that feel inundated by missionaries calling. I did have one call that I made where these are cold calls, mind you, because I really didn't have a lot of contacts. But I remember calling one church where the secretary said, I'm sorry, the pastor has an appointment that day. And I said, well, could we schedule for another time? And she basically told me he was busy all the time. In other words, not interested. And, you know, that was disappointing, but really that was few and far between. Most of the pastors and the missionaries and the partners and people that I met with were so favorable and helpful. And so, you know, when we allow the process of God to develop in our life, when we take that step-by-step of obedience that of what he tells us to do, it develops fruit in our lives that will be seen by others. As I traveled around and shared my future plans, people seemed to believe in me. And, you know, I also had confidence because of the word of God that it was the will of God. I love Isaiah 119. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And, you know, I want you to notice there are two parts to that. There's being willing, but there's also being obedient. Sometimes people are obedient, but not willing. Now, at this point in my mission career, I was willing and obedient, and God provided and supplied for us. So a leap of faith happens when the seed of a word grows in our heart to the point where what God says is bigger on the inside of us than all of the obstacles or impossibilities on the outside. As you remember from a previous podcast, I had been instructed in prayer, look to Asia. And so I contacted a missionary couple that I knew who were in Thailand at the time and who God put in my heart. Now, this particular couple was a great fit for a tentative single mom like me. I would call this couple the new breed of missionaries not so much focused on having people serve them, but more focused on empowering others to lead. And their encouragement and love was such a big help to me after I took that leap of faith. During the time I was raising my support and getting ready to go, they had already said I could come and work with them. And then they gave me a call and said that they were leaving Thailand and they were transferring to the Philippines to start a Bible school there. And so would I still join them in the Philippines? And of course, I said yes, because God had told me to help them, and I didn't know where else to go. So at that time, I knew next to nothing about the Philippine Islands. And we're talking over 20 years ago, the internet wasn't near as developed as it is now. I did no research about the nation or the people. So I don't recommend this to missionaries. And a lot of what I share in the next couple sessions hopefully will be helpful to prospective missionaries about culture, but a lot of it's going to come from a viewpoint of don't do what I did, learn from my mistakes. And so I basically was so kind of afraid to make this leap of faith that it's if you were at the top of a big cliff and I just kind of put my hands over my eyes and jumped. So I don't recommend that, but in my mind, I had no idea where I was headed In fact, I'd seen pictures of natives in the Philippines, you know, in costume and faces painted. And for all I knew, that's where we were going. That's what I mean when I say I was fairly unprepared in the natural. And so this episode is really not a how-to because as I look back, I did so many things wrong. But it was exciting. And when we got there, we had a close-knit team 
And amazingly, nation-shaping results took place in spite of us. You see, God has the power to work in you and work through you in spite of what you might make, the mistakes you might make. So here we were getting ready to go to the Philippines. And of course, you know, I was pinching pennies. Money was an issue. And so when it came time to go to save money, I decided to buy a two-for-one fare for JD and I on Malaysian Airlines. Now, Malaysian Airlines was going to go through Kuala Lumpur and overnight and then go to Manila. But I didn't look at itinerary at all. I just looked at price. And I remember being afraid to fly on Malaysian Air. And I remember saying to my pastor, I sure hope that there's not going to be only Asians on that plane. Which is so funny because he said, Tony, you're going to Asia to help Asians. There's going to be Asians on that plane. What I was more real picturing was being on a plane with a bunch of people that didn't speak any English and having an emergency happen and not knowing what to do, which, of course, was not 100% true. There was English-speaking flight attendants. <laughs> and so, you know, that was my first experience, J.D. and I packing up our couple of boxes, our suitcases, and leaving on Malaysian Airlines, landing in Kuala Lumpur to an airport full of burqa-clothed Muslim attendants, and navigating our way through the airport to spend the night before heading in the morning to Manila, the flight went via Kota Kinabalu, which is strip on the beach of Borneo. <laughs> and so there we landed on a strip on the beach where locals were peddling pearls at the plane. And this was a great adventure for JD and I, trust me. We then went on with the same flight to land in Manila in 100 plus heat and 100% humidity to smells that literally made me sick to my stomach for three or four days. I'm not sure right now if it was the smells or if it was the culture shock or the what have I done, I moved here. <laughs> and so to set the record straight, the Philippines is a beautiful place and a second home to me. And the lifestyle in the Philippines in many ways beats anything that we have here in the U.S. But this was over 20 years ago. And as I remember, there were literally mountains of garbage in the streets. Every morning when I woke up, they had bulldozed all this garbage together and were loading it into dump trucks to remove. And then they modernized and they put these pink metal urinals for men <laughs> up and down the main streets. And you can picture why, because before they weren't using urinals. And so it was just hilarious to us to see pink urinals and mountains of garbage. And like I said at the beginning, this is major culture shock for me. So I get there with a fifth grader. I've already enrolled him in a mission school, sight unseen, that some missionaries we knew were enrolled in. And the minute I land, I'm thinking, he can't be missing weeks of school. I've got to get this kid in school. And to make matters worse, our leaders left a couple days after we arrived for two weeks. So there was J.D. and I, and we were with this other young missionary couple. They and I were running the Bible school. And so they didn't have time to help me or even know how to help me, and I didn't have anyone to ask. So I struggled around calling the school, trying to find ways to get up there. And finally, I found a van that was going to the school that J.D. could join. The only problem was it was 45 minutes in the opposite direction. 
and it already took two hours. Now, it wasn't that far, but because of Manila traffic, it took us two hours just to get up there, you know, to have him meet the leaders there and get him enrolled. And so he was already on a four-hour-a-day drive, and then this 45-minute trip to the van and back added another hour and a half to that. And so, you know, it's indelibly printed on my mind one of my worst first days. Luckily, we're staying in a beautiful home because our regular home was an empty apartment with this other young couple where it was super hot, we couldn't afford air conditioning, and we had hardly no furniture. But when our leaders left for two weeks, they let me and JD stay in their beautifully furnished home. So at least we had a nice place to stay. And I got up that morning trying to look for some coffee, but my coffee maker that I had brought had been damaged in the trip as the box broke. So I was trying to find a way to make coffee, but to no avail. And so, you know, actually in those days, guys, There was no coffee to be found in the Philippines except Folgers Instant. Even though they grow coffee in the Philippines now, it was really difficult to find real bean coffee. Or if you did, it was poor quality. I still remember when the first Starbucks in the Philippines opened in downtown Makati and us girls on our team would go down there and go to the hair salon and get our hair done and our big deal trip of the week was going to Starbucks and buying coffee. But this particular day, I'm probably about a week new in the Philippines. I wake up at five in the morning. Um, I get all dressed for school in my fancy long skirts we used to wear back in the 90s. And I go out on the street, not having had my morning coffee, and I'm looking for a taxi. I'm looking to flag down a taxi to take JD down to this van that's 45 minutes away. So I'm out there in the dark, in my skirt, flagging down a taxi, get him to wait, go get JD. We get in, we get him down to the van, get him safely tucked in. And then I'm on my way back, looking at my watch saying, I'm not going to have enough time with this traffic to go back to the apartment. I got to go directly to school and I've got to get some coffee. Suddenly, Eureka, I spot a sign, 7-Eleven. I tap the taxi driver. Can you stop? Can you pull over? I go running into the 7-Eleven, hoping to see the usual pots of coffee, but alas, no coffee in the 7-Eleven in Manila in that day. Next to the 7-Eleven is a Dunkin' Donuts. So I say, well, I'm sure there'll be coffee in Dunkin' Donuts. But no, I go into the Dunkin' Donuts and there's no coffee there either. Whoever heard of a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts with no coffee? Well, the people in Manila have heard of it back in that day, 25 years ago. So no coffee, big headache, hot, humid, stomach ache. I get the taxi driver to drop me off at the school. I go to the school door. It's locked. I sit down in the hallway in my dress. Again, no air conditioning. And I'm waiting for somebody to come and unlock the door so that we can go in and I can lead worship. And I remember as I'm planning my worship set that day, I'm thinking to myself, you know, today I really need to sing some songs about the nations because I got to remind myself what I'm doing here. (laughs) And so this reminds me of, you know, I love history. I've shared that. And in the future, I'll share so many cool stories of people who have lived for God in the past. I love reading on it. But I also read on natural history. And I've read a lot of books about pioneers going west, in the covered wagons. And so I was reading a woman's diary 
And she was writing that they were on the, what is now the border of Kansas and Colorado in their covered wagon. And they looked and they saw the mountains in the distance. And I was thinking when I read that, there is no way you can see the Rocky Mountains from the border of Kansas today. And, you know, why is that? Well, it's because there's pollution in the air. When I was a little girl, I could look at the mountains and see the green trees from way out on the plains. And they look, I remember they looked like green velvet. Today, you can't see any of that. And so that's kind of like how it is with the call of God. When you get a vision from God and it's far away, at the beginning, you're squinting your eyes like, do I really see that? Are those mountains or are those clouds? But as you begin to move closer, it becomes more clear. And as you begin to move closer, you can start to see the trees and the valleys. And so that is how it is with the call of God. But the problem is now I was in the vision. Before I saw the vision from afar and I could tell where I was going. But once you got up on that trail and you started into the Rocky Mountains, now you can't see the forest for the trees. You can't see what's over the next hill because there are trees everywhere. And that's how I felt that day. So yet with all this, it's a privilege. It was a privilege and it has been a privilege for me, honestly, to have my heart expanded by seeing how most people in the world live. Now I can appreciate culture and I can appreciate my culture. But back then, one thing you have to prepare for if you're a missionary is getting what I would call a chip on your shoulder, a bitterness for the lack of understanding in your home country, a shame and almost an anger for the selfishness that people just walk in because they don't know any different here in America. And this happened to me one day when J.D. and I were on our way home from church, sitting in a taxi. Again, I'm in my 1990s long black skirt and, and black jacket, right, in the 100-plus heat, and the traffic jam, we would get these traffic jams in those days that were just literally a gridlock. You know, four lanes going one way, mate, four lanes going the other way. So we're sitting in the taxi, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes. And finally, I just decide to pay the taxi driver and get out. And we're walking along the road and I'm grumbling and thinking about my friends in America where every teenager has their own car and thinking about Americans singing about the nations, but they don't really care about the nations. And so, you know, I had to work through that and realize that people in my nation are very generous and they're doing the best that they know. And it's my job, it's our job as missionaries to help them know how the rest of the world lives. I've recently been reading about Anne and Adoniram Judson, who were the very first American missionaries to be sent they went to Burma in 1812. And compared to their life, friends, my life, even in that situation, was a piece of cake. I didn't have to leave my family forever. I didn't have to lose friends to death. I didn't have to fear torture. So we're pretty much wimps today. But when you take a leap of faith and end up out of your comfort zone, it tests your character and it will also purify your motives. I usually tell prospective missionaries they should spend at least three months somewhere to see if they really have a grace for the call. A 10-day trip isn't enough to understand what it feels like when you're completely immersed in another culture. But I'll tell you, there are rewards as well. 
what adventurous times we had together. J.D. and I, I remember riding in taxis, looking for landmarks to see if the taxi was taking us the right way, beginning to recognize where we were and learning our way. And you just can't forget those memories. It shapes you. Just now, as I was writing this, I was picturing the time I decided to go into this nearby village to get some plants. Because, you know, I love plants. I wanted some out on my patio at my apartment at my house. And so we walk, taxi walk, into this village where all the nurseries were, all the plant stores. And we buy a bunch of plants. And then to this guy's shock, I ask him if I can ride back with him in the truck to drop the plants off. And I'm sure he's never had a Westerner very often asked to ride in the front of his truck with the wooden, you know, flat wooden board on the seat. But this was life on the edge. And we did have a fun team of young couples to work with that treated us like we were part of the team. They even made JD one of them. And that was a marking, a major difference for me. Had I gone somewhere where it was even more difficult, I might have backed out. But thank God that God put us with a good team. Now that I've learned more, I can see that we did so many things wrong. Our team, while we were each other's comfort zone, we did kind of group together in an expat community, which prevented us from really getting to know the people and the culture. And, you know, many foreigners make this mistake when they go to live overseas. I've taught Filipinos about missions and warned them of the same thing, because Filipinos will go to the Middle East and just hang out with Filipinos and go to Filipino church and eat Filipino food. And of course, that is our comfort zone. But, you know, it's good when we get into other cultures to be adventurous and not to be fearful and group together, but to venture out and be interested and listen and find out what the culture is like. I'm really thankful that our Filipino friends were so patient with us. They overlooked a multitude of cultural sins. Once we were on the run after school, headed out to some appointment, I was with some students or staff, and I brought my sandwich and started to eat it in the taxi or car in front of the others. And boy, I could tell from the looks on the faces that that was not okay. So if I could change things, I would come more as a learner than a savior. We have as much, if not more, to learn from other cultures than we have to give. And our Western nations are blessed with many things, resources, teaching, even organizational skills that can greatly help other cultures. But I'm telling you, they understand relationship to a much deeper degree than we do. Cultures are a beautiful representation of the different gifts and graces of God. And we get the wonderful opportunity to learn from others around us when we aren't put off by their differences, but we embrace them. So if I had it to do over, I would have asked more questions of the missionaries who were our pastors who'd been there for years. I would have come with a humility to serve. I mean, I did come to serve, but I would say not with humility. I came kind of with the American pride of a know-it-all, and that's called the ugly American, and I think we do that because we don't know any different, but we get a bad reputation that way. So if I could share anything with you, it would be like, don't think so much of yourself and go to learn as much as you are going to teach. But praise God, He's gracious, and so are people, and we live and we learn. And that's one reason I'm sharing my life with you, 
with the hope that you won't have to make the same mistakes that I made and that you can grow faster and stronger and go farther than I ever did. So what are our takeaways for this week? When the vision is in the distance, number one, it sometimes looks clearer than when you actually get in it. (laughs) Number two, God's preparation in your life will give you stability even when everything around you is shaking. Number three, there's great value to the differences in people around us. So be a listener and be a learner. And number four, God's grace is more than enough to make up for our weaknesses. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for that. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for my friends who are listening today. And I thank you that just like you've worked in my life, you are working in their lives Your word says you work in us, creating in us power and desire to do your goodwill. So I thank you that right now as I've been teaching, you've been revealing things to them through my words and through your word. I thank you, Father, that you cause us all to embrace the unknown, embrace the future, embrace the new, and not to be timid and shrink back, as your word says, that the just live by faith. And faith also involves faithfulness. So I thank you, Lord, for the calling on each person who's listening to this. I thank you that you are watching over your word to perform it in their life. I thank you that you are busying yourself, ordering their steps, watching what's ahead of them and what's behind them. I thank you so much that even when we miss you, you find us. You keep us on the right track. Even when we make mistakes, you cover us with your grace. And so we're so grateful for your love, Lord Jesus, for your heart, for the world, for your passion. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir up the passion in my listeners to do the will and the call that you have put them on earth for, that you'd strengthen them with might by your spirit inside. In Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Amen. So I'll be looking forward to sharing more with you next week. Share this episode with someone if it's blessed you, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. I pray you were blessed and encouraged. One of my life scriptures is Hebrews 11.1 in the Jordan translation. It says, Now faith is the turning of dreams into deeds. It is betting your life on unseen realities. In Jesus Christ, you have what it takes to step into all God has prepared for you. If this episode's blessed you, please share it with someone else. I look forward to meeting with you again next week.